Hey everybody, welcome to the 120th episode of the JDO Show. I'm your host, J. David Osborne, and today on the show we have William Perk, the author of Killing Poppy. This is a good episode. William's a really good guy. I think you'll like it a lot. Life has been extremely busy for me lately. I've uh, become really focused on work, and it's been a little bit tough to keep up with the work that I do here, meaning podcast stuff, Patreon stuff, what have you. I sort of have a nine to five, and then when I get home, I do a lot of freelance editing. And the reason for that is because I realized at a certain point, unless I have um, money, I can't really function, right? So I hit this sort of point. It took me to get to 31 to get there, but I got to the point where I realized, like, oh, shit, like, I need to get health care. And <laughs> I need health care. I need to be able to pay my rent. You know, I need to be able to pay my phone bill, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm still trying to figure out that work-life balance. I'm actually by no means complaining about it. I kind of like it. I'm just trying to figure out right now how to sort of gracefully balance the two things together because I do want to continue to put this podcast out on a regular basis. So far, I haven't really been too successful. It will probably just come down to me just doing it. Um which is the toughest part of anything. You can sort of talk about whatever you want when it comes to productivity, but it kind of just comes down to you either do it or you don't. Um, so I'm going to, you know, I need to just sit back and take stock of things. You know, I have my own personal writing. I have my Patreon. I have this podcast. I have the podcast that I do with Dave. Uh, I have Broken River, right? Which uh, Coyote Songs, by the way, by Gabino Iglesias is doing really, really good. If you listen to this podcast, I don't think it's too arrogant of me to say that you probably already have Coyote Songs. But if you don't, please do pick that one up. All that is to say that there's just a lot of stuff going on in my life right now, and I kind of have to figure out what hat I want to wear, right? Do I want to be the Broken River guy? Do I want to be the guy who just occasionally writes some books? Do I want to be Mr. Podcast Man? Am I the Patreon warrior? What exactly do I want to do? Because, you know, honestly, you just can't kind of do all these things all at once because there's just not enough time in a day. We tend to fetishize work, I think. We tend to fetishize the hustle in a way that can be a little bit overbearing you know, by saying like, hey, you know, it's out there, you just, you just got to work. And it's kind of like, mm, yeah, that's true. But I also just sort of want to be able to enjoy life at the same time. So we'll see how it all shakes out. Um, whenever there's a, I think I said this in the last intro of the last episode, but whenever there's a new sort of mm, life change, it just takes a while for things to iron themselves out, right? And so this new job in particular, I'm adjusting to it, I think I would say. Because I'm not used to going somewhere for seven to eight hours and then coming home and being like physically tired from it. Because there's a lot of energy that goes on with this day job. So I come home and I'm... Uh, you know, genuinely tired. And then I put in an hour or two of freelance editing. And after that's done, it's about figuring out how to find the energy. Oh, because I forgot, I also 
go to the gym for about an hour, hour and a half every day. So I'll figure it out. I will definitely figure it out. Um, I think the podcast is probably the most easy thing. What I'll end up doing is just, you know, on the weekend, I'll make sure that I just have a couple of hours put aside to talk, slap an intro on it, and then put it up. That seems relatively easy enough for me. But until then, I really, really hope to get these more frequent than every two weeks. But, you know, if not, whatever. In the meantime, though, I have this interview, which is really, really good. Uh, that's the thing, too, is that I do enjoy doing this, and it always turns out so good. So, I don't know. Maybe the podcast will take priority. We'll see. Please do enjoy this 120th episode of the JDO Show featuring William Perk. I had a hell of a time talking to this guy, and I think that you will have at least a heck of a time listening to it. Thanks. William Perk, welcome to the JDO Show. Hello, David. So, Thanks. uh... How how are you doing, my friend? Yeah, doing well. Thanks. Now you are uh, living in Oregon, Portland, Oregon, correct? Yeah, yeah. And have you lived there your entire life? Uh, I grew up right outside of Portland, Oregon, um, most of my life. I was born in Texas, uh, Houston, but moved with my family when I was three, um, and then grew up in Portland, and then. I lived a few other places, traveled around, uh, lived overseas uh, for a couple of years. Uh, but, you know, I like Portland. It's a good city. So I decided to come back. Now, have you ever actually been to Houston uh, besides being born there? No, I haven't. I, I really want to go back. I heard it's a, it's an ugly city and I want to go really bad. <laughs> I'm so happy. Every time every time I hear people say that, I'm like, it's so true. I've never once heard anybody say, like, because a lot of good stuff comes from Houston, right? I mean, UGK is yeah, from Houston. Yeah, a lot Houston. of good rap. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's like, but it is a absolute just ugly ass city, dude. <laughs> There's nothing yeah. like So you've been there? Good. You've been there? Oh, yeah. I went to go see yeah. a concert there probably 10 years ago. I went to go watch... Um, have you ever heard of mindless self-indulgence? No. Okay, so I went to go see that. It, mindless self-indulgence was part of a group of, I think, like a genre of music that really sort of mashed up rap and electronic, and it was all white dudes, right? Okay. And so yeah. it was kind of like edge lordy. Uh, now I think it would probably be considered like an alt-right band, right? Because yeah the singer had no qualms about like dropping the n-word with an a not an er but still um it's just it's like stuff that totally just wouldn't fly today but i loved it when i was in high school <laughs> yeah right on but a lot of stuff has changed man a lot of stuff is different now i don't know if it's we were probably in high school around similar times it was a different world oh much different i'm i'm so glad there wasn't social media back then Dude, I was thinking about that recently, and we're kind of starting to see it. Do you know who Brother Nature is? No. So he's a social media personality. Who He's this kid. I think he's 18 or something like that. But his social media thing is that he feeds animals and says funny okay. stuff while he's feeding animals. And, yeah. uh, of course, because he's 18, that means he also had Twitter when he was 12, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, so he started. he was about to get a TV show. And somebody went back and found tweets from when he was 10 where he was like, or 12 or whatever, where he was like, Heil Hitler or whatever. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, God. It's like, dude, you, can't, oh, you can't like, you can't judge this kid based on stuff that he said when he was literally a child. That doesn't make any sense at all. 
Yeah, I mean, if I was judged for the shit I did back then, I mean, I wouldn't be able to get a job. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Do you ever get judged for things that you did in the past anyway? Because, hey, we could just jump right into it. You know, uh, Killing Poppy yeah. is about addiction, and you right. have uh, had addiction, right? So does that right. ever come back to haunt you in any kind of weird ways? I guess does, I get, it doesn't really come up in a, like a job interview, does it? Uh, no, not really. Uh, I mean, it actually it, it did come up in a job interview once, but it actually worked to my benefit because the owner of the company who I opened up to in the job interview – uh, her husband was actually a recovering addict at the time. So it, and I think that's actually the reason she hired me is cause she, like we, she felt that connection with me. So, mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes it, it works against me, but sometimes I definitely think it, it works in my favor. You know, just, you know, people can see that you're being honest and they, a lot of people just want to help other people out too. So if they can see that you're like, you know, recovering, uh, in recovery or, you know, trying to, trying to, you know, work, work to be better than they want to help you out. And so you were addicted to heroin. Uh, right. How did that start? Uh, well, I first, uh, got addicted to opiates when I got my wisdom tooth taken out when I was 18 senior mm-hmm. year in high school mm-hmm. and I fell in love with, uh, Vicodin. So that's when I got introduced to opiates and I kind of, uh, started, well, eventually I got addicted to painkillers, Oxycontin and Vicodin and stuff like that in my tw- early 20s. And then I smoked heroin for the first time when I was 24. And I I managed to not shoot up until I was 29. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so that was the first time I, I shot up when I was 29. And I really had a, a really bad year, um, 29 to 30. I was, I was strung up pretty bad. And then um, that's when I escaped overseas. You know, I thought that I could run from my addiction. It didn't work. So well, I hold on, hold on. We'll, get, we'll, get to, we'll get to that real quick. Yeah, yeah. But when you say that you're yeah. addicted to opiates, what does that look like? Like how many Oxycontin is that mm-hmm. a day? What is, what is it uh, like a – because I've never – praise praise the Lord because I'm addicted to mm-hmm. everything fucking else. But I, right. I've never had an issue with opiates. So what what does the mm-hmm. opiate addiction look like? Like how many? Um, was, well, I mean, like, like pills or heroin? Cause I mean, Oh, which... right. Sorry. Yeah. No, I'm, I sound stupid. Um, I mean like yeah. Oxycontin, like pills, Oxycontin. So, yeah. I mean, my, my, I was kind of limited cause I didn't have a lot of resources. Right. So, I mean, I would say I was, um, when it comes to like Oxycontin, there were eighties. So maybe like, I mean, maybe, I mean, I was probably only doing, I don't know. It's it's so hard to say. It was so long ago, mm-hmm. but I mean, I would I would blast like half an eighty at a time, right? And I mean, I could do a couple like one one or two eighties, you know, a day. Um, but I don't think I ever had a huge stash of the of of the oxy eighties. It was you know I was I I got a hold of like painkillers a lot, mm-hmm. um, you know, and we actually had uh, discovered this doctor in Hawaii. He's actually in prison right now, but he prescribed us overseas he was giving us these prescription bottles of um they were 15 milligram hydrocodones okay without without the aspirin in it so they were they were really strong and so he was prescribing those to me and a bunch of my friends and he would also prescribe to xanax uh so i got i got addicted to xanax unfortunately Um, did, did any of your other friends follow that same path 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, some friends didn't, some friends did, you know, and mm-hmm. I've lost a couple friends to, um, you know, drugs and suicide. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so you say that, uh, there was a point where you went overseas. This is, this is interesting yeah. to me. So you went to Thailand, correct? Right. Now what, right. what was, uh, what was like kind of going on in your, in your head with that? You're like, if I just get away from it all, it'll be great. So I'll go to Thailand, a place of no, like known for, <laughs> for debauchery, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I was, I was really strung out at the time. Um, I, I was, um, and I got my TEFL certification. I managed to do that while I was, you know, uh, strung out. Um, and my, my thinking was, yeah, um, it was like, I could start, I can start over and the consequences for drugs are so strict over there that there's no way I'll do them. Mm-hmm. Right. Because right. like, if you get caught with a bag of heroin, they could throw you in the Bangkok Hilton for like life or like 10 or 20 years or some shit. Really? Yeah. I mean, they're so they're ridiculously strict over there with the drug laws. Like if you got kit, if you got caught dealing drugs over there, like they, they can put you to death. Holy shit. I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah. So they don't, they don't fuck around over there. Um, so I, uh, so I, I, so I, I got a job. Well, actually, no, I didn't get a job until I, I got there. So I, I my friend was teaching English over there, and she was doing really well with the job. So uh, I got my TEFL certification, and I flew over there, and I detoxed right when I got into um, – and I think I detoxed in Bangkok. I don't remember exactly. But I detoxed with a buprenorphine and just slept for like two or three days straight. And then I met my friend, and um, – and I managed to stay clean for maybe a month. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What got you? What got you back into it? Well, I managed to find ways to um, to get opiates and benzos. They they sold they sell. I don't know if they still do, but they sold benzos over the counter at the time. So you know, I, I was I could buy Valium and, and like. Uh, um, Clonopins and shit over the counter. Uh-huh, right. Uh, I they also sold um, uh, shit. They sold certain painkillers over the counter as well. Um, they sold um, well. They sold codeine, mm-hmm. but we I had to do the cold water extraction process. So you buy a bunch of codeine and you crush them up, and then you have to like filter them through cold water to get that, the aspirin out of it. Mm. Um, it's, it's for kind your, of ridiculous. for your liver, right? Cause it'll kill your liver or something. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's a ridiculous process. Um, and then I found a doctor who was selling, would sell me methadone mm-hmm. and then, and then I, and then, uh, and then I got strung out on heroin there. Um, but I, I wasn't doing heroin all the time. I really, uh, was kind of maintaining with, um, with other fuck i forget the name of the drug it's it's like a light opiate um and then when i would like go on trips i would i would do these like heroin vacation trips and get strung out was yeah. there was there anything you know i mean besides all that what mm-hmm. uh thailand seems to me to be a really fascinating place so did, did you mm-hmm. do anything particularly cool while you were there or was it just a kind of a, a haze or what well, I mean, for me, cool at the time was like going to Laos and finding a drug dealer and getting strung out on gotcha. heroin for like a week. So, I yeah, I mean, my 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 priorities were all fucked up. Gotcha. So, I mean, I I mean, I my friend was there at the time, so we you know we'd go to like, 
I mean, we would go to the beach and <laughs> hell yeah, dude. <laughs> but, but I really missed out. A, I missed out on a lot. I mean, if I went back now, I mean, my trip would be, you know, completely different. You it know, just seems like, like such an interesting culture because they have their, their animus basically, right? Like they have this sort of, uh, belief. I mean, they uh, ostensibly have Buddhist iconography and Hind- I think Hindu iconography too. Right. But, but right. they actually like believe in, you know, essentially sort of voodoo type stuff, right? Like, you know, that there's spirits everywhere and you can put spirits into amulets. I get real nerded out on this kind of stuff. So I fell down a, a hole looking at uh, stuff about the Thai occult, right? And yeah. it seems just like a pretty fascinating place. I love any area that's just cool with shit like that. El Paso is oddly cool with that too, where it's just like yeah. in almost every shopping mall, there's something called a botanica, mm-hmm. which is like basically a magic store. Um, mm-hmm. where you can buy like, you know, candles and runes and tarot cards and trinkets and stuff like that. Cause it's just like such a part of life. But anyway, I guess, yeah, if you're there and you're also addicted to heroin, there's something that takes uh priority over all the cool nerdy shit that I like. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> so what, so. where did you get? So how did you eventually, did you quit? heroin and booze all together or was that a step-by-step process well i uh as soon as i discovered opiates my my taste for alcohol kind of vanished you know like Mm -hmm. because i drank a lot when i was in high school um and then yeah so i just I, i i didn't really like drinking as much and also it's extremely fucking dangerous to do use opiates and drink hmm. um i mean it's a recipe for for od Mm. so um and i wanted to live a long successful drug addicted life you know (laughs) (laughs) oh so you've never you've just never because since i met you what was it maybe three years ago and yeah and you'd never you never drank but so that was never alcoholism was never an issue for you it wasn't it was in like i started drinking when i was 13 Mm -hmm. uh so it was like in junior high and high school Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. as soon as I discovered opiates, like right out of high school, then I really kind of stopped drinking. Um, and I actually quit drinking when I was in Thailand. I think I had my last drink in Thailand. Um, so I haven't had a drink since then, actually, except for the tiny amounts of alcohol in my kombucha. <laughs> and so are you just sort of, a, it just doesn't hold any interest for you or, or what? Yeah, it doesn't really. I don't really. I don't really care for it. I mean, it's nice. I mean, it would be nice to have like a, a glass of wine or a beer every now and then. Um, but I think it's just kind of. A, I think it's it's kind of a risky for me. You know, you have an addictive personality. More, yeah, I got. I have an extremely addictive personality. Um, so, what are you addicted did, to right you know, now? What am I addicted to right now? Um, I've got a bunch of vitamins, and I do take. Uh, a lot of nootropics and oh, right, I also because right. I remember yeah I you also, gave me like a new vigil once that, that shit was cool yeah yeah that shit was great I was actually on the new vigil and modafinil for two years straight and I loved it it worked really well you know I functioned really well on it um, and then my insurance cut me off and so my uh, doctor put me on Adderall so I've been on Adderall for a couple of years now and I uh-huh. seem to function well off that and I'm right also on my uh, antipsychotic medication. Right now, now what's now what's when did you start taking that? The antipsychotic medication. Uh huh. Yeah. 
uh, I take Zyprexa. Um, I had uh, um, I had a, a psychotic break when I um, moved back from Thailand and I got clean. Like I was, I was three months clean at the time and I had a psychotic break and um, I was delusional for like six weeks. And uh, fortunately, my doctor got a hold of me and, and put me on some antipsychotics and brought me back to reality. What, what caused like, what like caused the break? Uh, well, I was diagnosed bipolar one, and mm-hmm. um, I'd been clean at that time for I think it was like around 100 days clean. So um, my 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 doctor didn't think it was drug related because I had been clean for that amount of time. But um, yeah, he said it was uh, you know like he th- what he, what he thought was my drug use was kind of keeping my mental illness at bay. Interesting. And then and then when I got clean. It, resurfaced and man you know that's so what did you remember did something trigger it or did it just kind of gradually happen or or what yeah it slowly happened and i have it's it's strange that i still remember like being in that state of mind right you know right it was just i think it just kind of start i mean i mean extreme paranoia uh delusions of grandeur um what is that like is it like do you think that you're just super strong or what does that mean i thought i was a, uh, actually a saint um, Oh, okay yeah i thought i was like a saint and i thought i thought um i thought russians were after me and cia was trying to recruit me and all this crazy shit it was why it does was... it always go to like being recruited to the cia isn't you know how that's like that's kind of common right you hear about I think that it all is the in time our, i think it is in our culture i think i think for people that have mental breaks in other uh, societies, I, I think it's different. You know, I just think that's because that's what we were, you know, that's the culture we were raised in, you know? Uh-huh. But it is, it is weird. It's always like Jesus and CIA. Yeah, it's those two things, dude. Yeah, without fail. So how did you how did you survive that for that long? It just, that seems dangerous. Uh, I mean, it, it definitely was dangerous. And I was lucky, you know, I didn't, kill myself because you know i thought there were like people following me in, in my car um so what was the question again how did oh I... just like how did you did you just survive that on on luck or 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 what uh well my my parents at the time i mean i was doing and saying a lot of crazy shit right so sure. like um i was at living at my parents and i thought god was telling me to uh, I was trying to move into this Oxford house while I was moving into it. And before my move-in date, I, I really – I believe that God was telling me to steal all the food in their, my parents' house and donate it to the Oxford house. Yeah. So I, so I got these garbage bags and I stole all the food out of my parents' house and drove to the Oxford house and started unloading it on their doorstep. Holy shit. And – yeah, and they were at, at pretty stoked. They were like, "Oh, great!" You know. Um, and then my parent, I came back, and my parents were freaking the fuck out because I just emptied their whole house of food. And I, my dad wanted to go get the food back, <laughs> so <laughs> so I told I told him I where it was. And then when he when he went to go pick it up, I called the cops on him, which I you know I would never call the cops. So I called the cops on him. And, um, they were just like, they, they said I, I was call, con, calling the wrong people. You know, they were mm-hmm. like, well, you know, um, now so what is the dad... voice, what does the voice of God sound like? 
it wasn't like a, a audible voice. It was more of like uh, like um, pulling meaning from objects or like circumstances. It was it just pulling a ridiculous amount of meaning out of like everything. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So like okay. if okay. the gas tank, if the gas tank is empty, like there's like a lot of like meaning or like the weather, just like you know, absurd amount of meaning from everything. And I don't, I definitely don't want you to go off your meds, but what if that, what if that's real though? You ever think about that? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, I still have this like strange, I mean, I really, I, I, I don't know. It, it, it was, it was kind of a cool experience in a way, you know, mm-hmm. like I, there, I do find some meaning in that whole experience. And I know that there's some other cultures actually, uh, well, instead of medicating, someone going through that they will like have a shaman guide them through that experience yeah and i and i i i you know i i think that's maybe you can actually heal through that i think i'm not sure i've never done it right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well that's actually i mean that's kind of clo- it's just interesting that you say that kind of stuff because uh i've never been to therapy or had any kind of brain medicine or anything like that um right but as you're talking about it i'm like oh shit i get that all the time like i see synchronicities everywhere and i Mm -hmm. do feel like there's some kind of um i don't know extra like paranormal um entity right that Mm -hmm. like yeah that kind of like talks to me and tells me stuff Right. Right. But I've always just kind of I've just like developed a weird relationship with it where I'll be like, you know, not now. And it'll be like, look at the rocks on the ground. It's a sign, (laughs) you know, (laughs) not in that not in like that corny way or anything like that. But it's but it is this sort of um, it feels separate from myself and it is a kind of a voice, but it's more just this extreme um, intuition. Right. It's like intuition, right. almost to the point that it's been personified as a, as a spirit or something. Well, yeah, uh, and I think that's exactly what it is. Except just like turn that up to the max, mm, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm, if you were, mm-hmm. in it, so if that's like all you were seeing and feeling, yeah, then you're gonna act, then you're gonna act on it. Sure, sure, no, totally, yeah. So I wonder how many people. I wonder if there's just if everybody has that just to different. You know what I mean? It's just it's a broken. Mm-hmm faucet or whatever like yours was just somebody cranked that motherfucker all the way up and you just like couldn't turn it off dude yeah totally (laughs) that's why yeah and it was it was embarrassing like trying to engage after that right just being like trying to engage with the people sure who saw me when i was manic how did you deal with it were you like hey sorry about that did you explain it or just kind of sweep it under the rug well, I was going to a, a lot of um, meetings at the time, 12-step meetings, um, mm-hmm. when I was going through that uh, psychotic episode. Right. So, um, I mean, there was like a meeting where I thought the uh, CIA was, was surrounding me and they were going to jump on me and arrest me any any second. Yeah. So the whole meeting, I was moving from seat to seat thinking I was outsmarting them. But mm. really, people just saw me as this like uh, asshole who was – you know, uh, interrupting the meeting. So I had to go back to those meetings and, and like 
I just felt extremely judged by these people, you know, and um, I didn't really apologize to anyone. It just, I could feel like people kind of keeping a distance from me, sure, people that, yeah. you know, and it was just, it was just a, a horrible, like, feeling. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like, that's not who I am. That was like, that was me when I was delusional and psychotic, but that's not really like how I am now and as a sane person. So it was, it was really frustrating. So that's, know, but, that's I'm, kind of what the book is about, right? The book is about sort of that time. Cause there's a character who has maybe a psychotic yeah. break. You yeah. Want, you want to talk about that I a mean, little bit. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I pull from all my experiences, you know, um, to tell that story. Um, so I'm not quite sure how to um, talk about it without. I don't know. I'm not sh- like what. Like what exactly? What? what oh, just talk about mean? the book, man. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I mean, I start. I started the book when I was in rehab at Serenity Lane. They gave us an assignment to write a goodbye letter to our drug of choice. Mm-hmm. So that's really how the book started. Yeah, um, right. And I didn't ha- I didn't think I was going to write this book at the time. I just started writing this assignment, uh, a goodbye letter to my drug of choice, who I named Poppy. And then um, I kind of started fictionalizing it. And then and then when I got out of rehab, I just built the story around it and then just kept moving with it. Um, but it definitely deals with mental illness and addiction and all that. So can you give a sort of brief sort of overview summary about what the book's about? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, this guy, Gust, is uh, strung out in Portland, lives in his car, and he overdoses, and this angel saves him with a shot of Narcan, uh, which is an opiate-reversing drug. And um, the angel... Um, pretty much tries to get this guy Gust clean and mm-hmm. Gust follow, follows him around Portland and uh, the guy claims he's an angel, but really he's just this low life piece of shit. And <laughs> um, it's kind of based off this experience I had when I was psychotic, um, when I was following this guy around for like over a week um, for a few weeks, I thought this guy was like an, like a, like I thought he was like a prophet. Right. And I thought he was a genius, but he was really just this low life piece of shit. But I thought he was acting that way because he was trying, he was putting on this character. Uh, so, um, and then when I came back to sanity, I realized he was just this piece of shit. Um, how did so, you meet that guy? Uh, in, in a meeting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> gotcha. Birds of a I mean, feather. he was just, he was just, he was just racist and homophobic <laughs> and just, very vulgar and is this the guy with all the tattoos on his face no that's no that's not him okay that's a different guy sorry that could be a different story for a different time (laughs) yeah yeah totally totally (laughs) there's a bunch of weirdos in portland man but yeah go ahead yeah for sure so i'm not sure where i left off um oh sorry okay so 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 anyhow so this this uh this angel uh gust is following this angel um trying to get clean and he's and he ends up creating all this chaos while he's trying to get clean that's pretty much what it's about you know mm-hmm. so 
Oh, yeah, there's a lot. Oh, okay. Of, there, yeah, I was... <laughs> well, I mean, there's a, there's a lot. Of, I mean, there's a lot of like there's you know there's murder and uh, body parts and you know there's violence and you know and and, and a turtle. Yeah, and a turtle, and I think I there's a little bit of I don't want to I don't know. Yeah, there's there's a lot of chaos. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Yeah, I recommend it. I think it's really good. Thanks, man. Um, Thanks. So, do you think that writing the book actually helped at all? Uh, what do you mean by that? By help, like, I mean, do you think that it successfully kind of like put to bed maybe a part of you that uh, maybe an, an addictive part of your personality? Um, I don't. Well, basically, let me kind of preface it by saying that there's this practice called cha, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's a Tibetan Buddhist thing, and um, the story is that there's this woman whose village is attacked, uh, she's a monk, and her village is attacked by demons, right? And so to get the demons to go away, she sort of meditates and flies over to them and turns herself into food. And the demons eat her, like they eat all the food. And then the demons fly away because they're satiated, right? Right. And so um, the practice of it is sitting in a chair, meditating, uh, envisioning your personal demons, whatever they are, whether it's addiction, anxiety, whatever, as a physical thing, right? Mm-hmm. Asking it what it needs and then giving it whatever it needs through meditation, mm. right? So it's like satiating yeah. demons. So like my question is, is did, was writing that book in any way kind of satiating to that part of you? Did it help exercise any kind of demons or was it just kind of something that maybe felt good, but wasn't necessarily that profound. Uh, I mean, I think it was definitely therapeutic mm-hmm. writing the story. And I definitely felt like I purged a lot of like, I felt like a person a lot, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think I'm still trying to figure out exactly what that is or was, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there, I, I, I do think that it definitely, you know, was useful. Well, good. In that way. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. No, I just, I was just curious about, it. I'm always curious. I mean, about re- I mean, really, if, if, it really, it feels like I just kind of spent all this time ma- making this really cool gift. Yeah. And then now that it's out, like I'm giving this gift to people. So really, I mean, when it boils down, that's kind of how I, I feel. That's what it kind of feels like to me. Cool. Yeah. Well, definitely. So, that's the book talk. We got the book. T- <laughs> yeah, I, know, right? I, I was I was like to get the book talk kind of just you know put it right smack dab in the middle. Um, right. But now I want to get to a fun story. Not that that wasn't yeah. fun. All right, it was fun. I all had right. a great time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I want to talk about your experience as an Uber driver. Oh wait, should I say not yeah. say Uber? Is that is that fine? No, Uber and Lyft. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> okay. You I was have, an Uber and Lyft driver, yeah. You have this really great story. And I think I was living in Portland when it began. Yeah, uh-huh. I was living there when it began. So I kind of got uh-huh. to see it unfold. And it's one of my favorite stories <laughs> ever. So you pick up a drunk guy, and I'll let you take yeah. it from there. Well, I picked up uh, this couple outside of a strip club in Portland. And... They were both intoxicated. The guy came across as this asshole who I didn't want to deal with. I mean, you know, I've, I've dealt with drunk assholes before. I've had people throw up in my car. I've been yelled at. So 
I kind of have developed a sense, you know, and so I canceled the ride just because I didn't want to deal with this guy. Um, and they were in my car. They had just gotten in my car and he was kind of copying me an attitude. So that's kind of why I canceled the ride and they refused to get out of my car. It really wasn't her, but it was this, this drunk guy who was about my age, but he was in much better shape than me mm-hmm. and he but you're a pretty buff get... dude you're a pretty big guy so this guy yeah, was, was just little, like jacked I, or what I was, a little, I was a little chubbier at the time i think the guy was i think the guy is military oh, and okay. i definitely think he was a fighter just the way he moved mm-hmm. um but he refused to get out of my car and i didn't know what to do i didn't want to call the cops because i i know i knew it would have taken like 20 or 30 minutes so um after like a couple of minutes of him refusing to get out of my car, I said, fuck it, I'm just going to go. I mean, because I couldn't take them to their destination because I had already canceled the ride. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't have gone paid. I would. I mean, I, I really I, I couldn't take them. So uh, I said, fuck it, I'm just going to go home then. So I started driving and he started uh, he started like making fun of me. He was like, oh, yeah, you 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 with your puny workouts, you know, they don't do shit. He's like, and then he, he was wait, what? Saying, he was yeah, he was like making fun of my body. He was like, like making fun of like, like my my workouts or something. <laughs> I mean, he was just saying a bunch of like drunk asshole shit. He was, he was, he's, he said he was a lawyer. He said he was gonna ruin me. He was gonna ruin my life. Like all this shit, and like that just you know flies off my back. I don't, I you know, it doesn't really, it doesn't really mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. piss me off. It's just like okay, this guy's just an asshole. Like whatever. Um, and he said, so you're going to kidnap us. And I was like, no, you're fucking trespassing. So I pulled over and I said, now get the fuck out of my car. Mm-hmm. And he still refused to get out of my car. So I pulled out my phone and I thought, okay, as soon as I start recording, they're going to jump out of my car. Yeah. They don't want to be filmed. Right. So I pull out my phone and I'm like, okay. And I started explaining the situation. His girlfriend got out of the car he stayed in my car. I realized my phone wasn't recording. So as soon as I press record, he grabs my phone and he's trying to break it. So mm. I lunge in the back seat and I'm and I'm wrestling him, trying to pry my pry the phone from his grip. Mm-hmm. And then he puts me in a choker hole and he starts choking me out in the back seat of my car. I thought <laughs> I was gonna die. God, it was fucking horrible. Yeah. I really, I mean, I really thought, uh, I really thought, like, okay, so this is how this is how it happens, right? Right, for sure. And, um, and I was reaching for the door and I think I opened the door and fell out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I also maybe passed out. Oh shit. Because, he got you all the way yeah, to the, I, to the pass out point. Because the next thing I remember is we we're on the outside of my car and he was choking me outside of my car. Jesus. He was like, really, he just kept going. Yeah. Uh, and I was like screaming for help and, um, and I think his girlfriend came over or something and he like, like loosened his grip and I just jumped on him mm-hmm. and started punching him in the face. I probably punched him like four or five times in the face. Mm-hmm. And then his girlfriend came over and I got up, you know, I, I didn't want to like seriously injure the guy. I just wanted to get away from him. Mm-hmm. So I got up and, um, he just like jumped to his feet and started like coming at me again. I was like, Jesus, man. Uh, and I eventually I got back in my car and I drove away and then um, I called a couple people and like chilled out. And then 10 minutes later, I drove back by the strip club hoping I could 
ID this guy. Um, they were closed, and him and his girlfriend were still standing on the corner, I think, waiting for another Uber. And I pulled up, and I was I was still pumped on adrenaline, you know, in fight or flight mode. And they approached my car, and I started just uh, I I got a picture of his face, and I started I I told him that I called the cops on him that he was fucked, which mm. I didn't do. Mm. I was just fucking with him. It was a big mistake because um, the following day he called the cops and filed a police report on me. Mm. Yeah. So I was looking at. Uh, misdemeanor assault charge and harassment charge <clears throat> I, I had to get a lawyer and um this is why the, the, this whole thing was just so crazy to me and it's always like the the person who wants to be a bigger asshole about it it's just uh, it sucked when it happened dude because it's like <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, totally. you're put in this situation dude where like what else are you supposed to do you know how else are you going to get this person out of your car you know and then he right. attacks you and you're literally, you are literally thinking, I'm going to die in a chokehold with a drunk Marine that I picked up at a strip club. And so you right. hit him and then, and then all of a sudden it's all on you. It's like, oh, that's assault, you know, cause he told yeah. on you first, basically he tattled first. Exactly. Exactly. And I think the only reason he did that was to cover his ass because I told him I called the cops, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but mm-hmm. fortunately in their police report, uh, they admitted to being inebriated. Right. 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 Uh, and also their story was bullshit and it was full of like inconsistencies and, and stuff. So, right. Well, cause they yeah. can't remember shit cause they were fucked up. You don't remember shit <laughs> yeah. when you're drunk. He like woke up and they were both trying to pe- probably trying to piece that shit together. <laughs> They're like, totally. like, I remember totally. a guy telling us that he called the cops and my face hurts. All right, let's make a story here. You know? <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Um, yeah. But what ended up happening with that? Did it get resolved or so- what? Yeah, it did. So what happened was uh, we had the trial date set, and I had a lawyer, and um, they minutes uh, before jury selection, or they tried to get me to cop a deal for uh, no assault, just like a the misdemeanor uh, harassment charge. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck that. I'm not going to take it. So um, uh, like minutes before jury selection, they after I, I refused to take the deal, they ditched out. Mm. So the case was dismissed because they oh, were they, they were they were trying to like spook you or what? Well, they wanted me to um, <clears throat> they they didn't want to testify because for you know they would have had to have commit perjury right? I mm-hmm. mean they would have had to have lied on stand um, and they they would have gotten demolished. They would have mm-hmm. gotten demolished. So they didn't want to and and they were they're both doctors. What the fuck? They're both doctors in the Portland area. One of them is. A doctor uh, in like the mental health, right? Which is no crazy. Shit. Recovery, yeah. And the other one is a doctor uh, who actually is now involved in recovery in like addiction, which is fucking <laughs> hard. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, that's it's amazing, so dude. That's yeah, so amazing. That's crazy. It's so they didn't want to go to court because it all this shit would have come out about them, and it probably would have made a like a, a you know. It would have been an interesting story, like on Oregon Live or some shit, right? I mean, yeah. just the dynamics of it. Um, so, um, yeah, so they they didn't refuse to testify, and the case was dismissed. And I just recently got the charges expunged. Well, that's so good, man. For, oh, it's a happy for, ending. For, for fortunately, I never had to get my mug shot, you know. Um, <laughs> and and uh, I don't. I still have a clean record. And what's bizarre is 
a few weeks later, um, I was at my buddy's shop in uh, in the Pearl District, and uh, I run into the guy. Really? Yeah. Did I tell you this? No, this is great. Go for it. Yeah, so it was a little consignment shop, and I was my friend was uh, moving, so I just wanted to pick up like some some shit there. And uh, out of the dressing room, it's a small shop, by the way. Out of the dressing room steps this guy, <laughs> and <laughs> and I was just like, I was just smiling, and I was like, "You recognize me?" Yeah, and. He's like, yeah, I thought I recognized those tattoos. And I just, you know, I was just like, fuck it. Let's just squash this shit and move forward, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was the best move to make at the time. So I just, like, leaned in for a fist bump, and he bumped (laughs) bumped my (laughs) And he goes, goes, so I guess it kind of worked out in the end, huh? And uh, I was like, yeah, whatever, man. It's not a big deal. And then we just, like, bullshitted for, like, five minutes. And then... <laughs> Dude, that is so crazy. That's so funny that it, it actually had a happy ending. And it almost makes you wonder. It's like, it makes you wonder about the legal system in general and about how complicated these things can get. Where, whereas if the legal system didn't exist, uh, which I'm not for, by the way, I think. <laughs> Um, but like, let's say hypothetically it didn't. And then the next day you just went over there and you're like, let's squash this bro. And you fist bumped could have saved yourself months of agony. Just, Oh yeah. Thousands of dollars. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Seriously. So I mean, I'm not like, I'm not bitter, you know, I'm not like, I'm not, I'm not, you know, but, um, I kind of felt the whole time, like if I could just like talk to this guy for a few minutes, I'm sure we, everything would be fine. You know, like, yeah, exactly. So did, but, uh, did yeah. whenever it was in the middle of, of all the proceedings, did they ever bring up, I guess, some of your other shenanigans around Portland, right? I don't know how far it got into like building a case or whatever, mm-hmm. right? right? But you do some kind of, uh, or have done, do you still do that kind of shit? Save Portland from hell? Yeah. No, I killed that off when Trump... Uh, came into office. Yeah. Oh, it just it just stopped being funny. Well, yeah, I mean the whole political climate change and people's <laughs> tolerance for trolling <laughs> kind of change, and you know, the whole well, I guess thing. tell I wanna... tell people what I'm kind of talking about here: the Save Portland from Hell shit. Yeah, well, Save Portland from Hell. Uh, it was when I got clean. Um, I started the performance art project called Save Portland from Hell, and it was a religious satire mm-hmm. project, and it involved. Um, it involved uh, blog posts, involved uh, flyers, uh, uh, street art, um, going out in character, and it was all. And it was really based off of this character, Jake Zimmerman, who was this <laughs> religious nut, this crazy religious nut um, Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he wasn't hateful by any means at all, and he wasn't like political. He was just a delusional idiot. Yeah, right. And he and he, and he was a likable character, and. So I would troll people uh, when trolling was acceptable, but I wouldn't troll people to piss them off. I would troll them to get them to laugh, right? So right. I was trying to bring people together and get people to laugh, and you know, and I got a really good response, you know, um, you know, for instance, the uh, the naked bike ride, um, which is a yearly event where uh, it's the naked bike ride where people ride around town naked, right? Yeah. And it's it's like a protest against body shaming sure. and 
and so anyhow, so I made these flyers that said, um, uh, censor the naked bike ride. <laughs> and I said, I said that my, me and my church were going to show up at the naked bike ride with bed sheets and we were going to run along all the bikers to cover them up <laughs> to, to, to protect the community from nudity. And I had just this to act list, as like a uh, shield just to run alongside exactly. with, with the blanket. Yeah. yeah. To, just to censor it. Right. So, yeah. um, and then I said, if you couldn't do that, then donate bed sheets to Lake Bible Church in Lake Oswego. <laughs> like this church was like, was just the object I, of like so much because <laughs> you did other shit to fuck with that church, right? Well, I put their logo on it and I had their address <laughs> and phone number and everything. So uh, they got pissed and uh, they ended up, uh, the, new, the news broke the story uh, and they actually in, interviewed the pastor of of the church and he was fucking pissed it was so funny it was great <laughs> um and he uh he actually lived like a few houses down the street from my parents which oh no was, shit that's yeah, funny man. Uh, so anyhow so that was like one project i did and it got a really good response people thought it was funny and and stuff and um and um so i would do these i would do these things and um but when trump came into office uh it was everything changed you know people mm-hmm. um well, people, I, I don't, I don't want to be known as a troll, right? Sure. Uh, also, people don't, people don't like fake news, right? So these flyers that I would do could be considered like fake news nowadays, right? So yeah. I saw like, one. I remember you showing it to me, and then you actually made it. And I remember it pops up on Reddit every once in a while, and it's the oh, yeah. like uh, trading in your sex toys for like Christian stuff, right? So like one, one, <laughs> yeah, the sex, like the sex, the sex toy exchange. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I like it's that. It the, doesn't it go to like a, like a, there's like a fisting glove or so. I don't know what it was. Yeah. It's trading in your sex, your used sex toys for like different little cool little, uh, <laughs> things, cool Christian things. <laughs> and, I, and I still so see some and people are still like, and this is why like fake news is so interesting. Cause people really do fall for stuff really easy. well yeah and it, well i was putting the church logos on it with their addresses so on that one i had that i had the church address and logo and it said to ship your sex your sex toys to the church mm-hmm. and then we would send you the, the whatever prize it was um so i mean obviously it looked real and you know really i was trolling the churches you know mm-hmm. yeah no and, uh, I, and you, it's funny because you said that that one church uh that guy lives near your parents and so do all the like preachers and pastors all live in the same neighborhood how does that work <laughs> no um my no th- that that church actually my dad used to preach at when i was a kid okay right okay and he yeah and he actually kind of had a kind of had a bad experience with that church and that guy so it kind of was like he was like fuck it, that guy but in a nice like christian so, way so it, so it felt right you know it felt like <laughs> It felt like I was doing God's like, work, like like a blood debt, like a like a Viking <laughs> blood debt. You're avenging exactly. your father. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Through, through this so, but no, I mean, he. Th- I mean, my parents thought it was funny. The whole thing, you know. I mean, I didn't. I didn't have any like ill intent. You know, mm-hmm. I wasn't like malicious by any means. You know. Now, um, is a you know your dad is a preacher. Um, does well, he's, he doesn't preach at a church right now. Uh, oh, he's okay. Anymore, anymore, but he is involved with churches and does speaking mm-hmm, and writes mm-hmm. Christian books and stuff. Now, do you think that growing, like, what was it like, kind of growing up with that? Were, were they? I mean, obviously, if they're cool with that trolling, 
then they're mm-hmm. probably pretty cool. But did, do you think that that... I'm going to make a big jump here, and you can totally mm-hmm. reject it if you want, but do you think that that has anything to do with the psychotic break and the hearing voices and the believing that God is talking to you? That, like, do you, Do you think there's a connection between those two things? Not saying that it's your parents' fault or anything like that. I'm just saying, do you think there's a connection? Well, yeah, I mean, I definitely think there's a connection because that was, you know, I, I grew up with these stories, right? So it's it's what I, it's like what I knew. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think if my, if my parents were uh, a different religion, then I probably would have had a different psychotic break, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was a kid, they were, they were very strict. You know, yeah, like yeah. I had, to, I had to like hide my rap tapes, um, sure, and stuff. Sure. Back but when we the, had tapes, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> uh, but the older I got, the more laid back they got, you know, and mm-hmm. they, uh, they did the best they could. And, you know, they were, they, you know, um, I don't know. I mean, my, my, I, they, my, I feel like my parents did a great job raising me and my brothers and. Yeah. You know, I have a great relationship with them to this day. And, um, you know, um, I mean, of course, looking back, I could say, you know, I think he was, you know, a little strict, you know, sure. maybe he shouldn't, maybe he shouldn't have, uh, told me about hell when I was 16 years old. Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, I mean, my, my parents were the same way, dude. It's like my, my mother would go on these and I love my mother very, very much, Yeah, but yeah. my mom would go on these like, um, like she she was really big into anti-violence right she didn't like violent stuff right so Mm. i remember she took away my ninja turtle stuff and then she took away power rangers and then Mm. i had like this stack of garfield comics and she was like she came in she's like i've been thinking about it and actually garfield's pretty violent because he beats up odie (laughs) right and i was like fuck not my garfield comics dude it's like what do you have left what do you have left (laughs) Um, well, she couldn't get the, the funniest, the, God bless her, you know, she tried, mm-hmm. but I mean, I would still like, I would still watch like Indiana Jones and shit where like right. people's faces are melting off. That's the problem with, I think really trying to be a strict, uh, disciplinarian parent is that it's impossible because you're not going to be able to get everything. Well, yeah, and the and the and almost the more uh, like the more you like the more strict your parents are, the uh, almost the more you're going to rebel in a sense, right? Oh, for sure. And I, I mean, I went through. I mean, I'm, I'm probably if I were to psychoanalyze myself, I'm probably still rebelling a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But because mom went to, uh, I mean, we went to, um, like a real like speaking in tongues, uh, uh-huh. kind of Pentecost, not Pentecostal. It was non-denominational, but they did speak in right. tongues and they did the whole like, it was, mm-hmm. ah, it was so weird and culty, right? And yeah, I, I just have so many like really bad memories about that. Like there was one time where I'll probably try to put this scene in a, in a book at some point, right? Mm-hmm. Where um, my grandma came to visit and it was not my mom's mom, but my dad's mom, right? Mm-hmm. And mom and dad had split up, but... Mama decided she wanted to go with my mom to our new church, right? Right. And um, my mom had remarried, and she remarried a black dude, right? Right, right. And I 
remember that he showed up wearing like one of these like Steve Harvey suits, right? Okay. Like just this kind of bright red thing. And yeah. everybody was bashing tambourines and talking in tongues and freaking out. And I remember that that the combination of that with the fact that my stepdad was net was black was like too much right. for my grandmother to handle. And she just like fainted. Right. Damn. And I don't know why I said that. I think it's just, I think that's just a really traumatic <laughs> memory. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cool image. I mean, yeah. not, not that, you know, seeing her fall, but right for sure. Yeah. But I mean, I just, I think that it's those kind of images and stories. I think that sort of, stick with me to this day it's hard to get away from that i think uh yeah hard, hardcore christian uh i don't know i i, I don't want to use the word trauma maybe just like mm -hmm. pro programming might be a better word yeah and just yeah definitely constantly yeah, like, I mean, like I... trying not to be like always in rebellion mode about everything you know because i'm like i don't know if it's true about you but i'm very um not reactionary but like I go against stuff whenever I see whenever I see people organize into groups and start saying something right. all at the same time. It does right. it doesn't even matter if I agree with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. If it's it'll be like every like if I see a group getting together and being like white supremacy is bad, white like I'll be like oh I want to stay the fuck away from them. And I agree with them. You know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. No, I hear what you're saying. I definitely hear what you're saying. It's just like deeply ingrained in me. I think this idea that as soon as people start getting into groups and chanting in unison maybe that's why i never really liked going to like concerts or anything like that it just freaks me out dude yeah no i definitely i feel you there for sure did you get in trouble a lot as a kid like in classes oh totally yeah i mean yeah. I, but what was really funny is i was a really good kid up until oh sixth grade maybe yeah and then around then i just stopped giving a shit what about you Oh yeah, I got in trouble a lot as a kid, mm -hmm. definitely. And so, like for me, I'm, it was I'm like I'm... for me, it was like troll behavior too. I would just like, mm. I would tr I remember one specific thing. I would, um, me and my buddy Eric would, um, during our English class, we would like literally just play D and D right right there mm. in the middle of class. Like we'd set up a whole D and D thing <laughs> and just like talk and play. And it did. And this poor teacher, she was like in her 70s or whatever and she eventually yeah. just like gave up you know what i mean <laughs> but, but we drove her absolutely nuts just <laughs> but it was just oh, in, in, like in retrospect it's like ah oh, that's really mean and now i kind of like yeah. i'm in that position i'm i'm t i'm teaching kids kind of so i yeah. i and i see that like reflected back yeah. on me and i just like i yeah. have to be like okay this is it's karma, dude. I'm paying for yeah. it, you know? So. <laughs> I'm just, I'm going to be paying for it for quite a while, I think. Yeah. How so? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I don't think we did anything too bad as kids, but I mean, just fucking around, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, we'd dress up dummies and have them hanging off our roof. So people driving by, I thought someone was going to fall off, <laughs> you know, just like, just so, I mean, that was trolling behavior, you know? Sure. Of course. Um, yeah. So just, just shit like that, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah, being a troll was fun though. Yeah, definitely. But you can't do it nowadays, right? Like, yeah. Um, How do you feel and, about and, that? I mean, How do you feel about the whole like climate? Like, like, what, like, what are your thoughts about it? They can be very general if you want them to be. Well, I think it's. I mean, I think it's very, very difficult to pull off like um, humor 
right in this climate yeah, right yeah, so sure, like I, sure. I um and i don't want to i don't want to like i mean aside from like writing in stories and stuff like that but um i mean i can't think of one stunt that would have worked for save Portland from hell um in the last like two years right like i can't mm-hmm. think of anything that would have worked yeah. without getting without getting uh the wrath of you know the internet sure Sure. I mean, my my last like one of my last flyers that I did, um, I went a little too far, and because the climate was like kind of changing, and I was like, okay, I think it's time for me to put this thing to rest. Uh huh. So. Wait, um, but, but how but how did it go too far? Okay, well, the flyer was um. It was uh uh it was protest veganism with a bunny barbecue. And I had the flyer with a barbecue with the bunny on on the barbecue, <laughs> and um, I said our church was going to protest veganism by doing a bunny barbecue, BYOB, bring your own bunny, and like, was, and we had the, and I posted these flyers up all over Portland. And I was like, yeah, this is a good idea, right? Bring your um, own bunny. <laughs> that shit is funny though, dude. Yeah, it is funny, but uh, some people didn't think it was funny. Oh, not, for sure. And, and all you need is just like one or two people or a handful of people to think it's evil. And then, you know, mm-hmm. it's 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 not worth it. Right. Well, that's kind of I mean, that's what I was talking about, where I feel like I'm still dealing with this sort of uh, growing up in a church. I'll, I don't mean it PTSD as in like people who have real PTSD, but because I can't think yeah. of a better term, I'm just going to call it that. It's like post-Christian PTSD, right? Where my problem right now is that I see people who I agree with on everything, right? Right, But I'm distancing myself from those groups because just because of the not related to its actual beliefs, but I'm I'm distancing myself because of the group behavior, right? Where when I see... I don't know, like people being like, oh, that's not funny. You can't laugh at that. Mm-hmm. And then watching groups of people coalesce around this idea of there being an idea that's not funny that shouldn't be laughed at. I don't know why. I just like, I recoil from that, you know? And it it yeah. doesn't mean that I'm going to become like a reactionary right-wing asshole. I just, mm-hmm. I feel like I don't have a place anymore where it's like, I yeah. Like if if the left can't laugh, then I don't really know where I'm at right now because the right is just terrible, but the left right. just seems like a bunch of buzz kills right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want to say too much, so I don't. I, you know, I mean, I, I I mean, I don't really feel. I'm not sure where I land. You know, um, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm definitely not conservative, and and um. But I'm not, I'm not, you know, wearing a black mask and protesting. So I, you know, sure. um, but I definitely, you know, I think I agree with what, I mean, I can, I understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Like you agree with certain aspects, but you don't want to like be judged for the actions of the whole group or right. something. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. I was at a, I was at a protest, uh, cause you know, here in El Paso, you know, that whole mm-hmm. thing that's going on with the border with the caravan and stuff. And oh yeah. There are yeah. people who are on the some of the bridges between Mexico and the U S right. who just aren't being allowed in, you know? So I went down yeah. there, you know, I had my little sign and stuff and they did this thing where, uh, as we're marching, Oh shit, my bad. Sorry. Um, my phone went off. Uh, 
so they're doing this thing as they're marching where they handed us all crosses, right? Okay. And right. the crosses have names of people who've died trying to cross the border, right? Yeah. But like halfway through that march, and this is my own shit, I guess, that I have to work through, mm-hmm. but like in, in a yeah. crowd of people chanting slogans, carrying a cross, I was like, what the fuck am I doing? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it felt yeah. when you when you strip it of all of its real meaning and just look at the symbology, it's mm-hmm. very odd, right? Like standing yeah. in a group, chanting with people, carrying crosses. It's weird. Um, well, yeah, and that, that's one thing. I, that's why I really like like creative protests, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But anyhow, what were you saying? So continue. Oh, no, I mean, like, that's pretty much my whole yeah. story. I mean, it was a fine oh, okay. experience. Like, yeah. I just, like, halfway yeah. through it, halfway through it, I got, like, really kind of weirded out. And this is embarrassing, mm-hmm. but I put um, I put my little earbuds in and listened to podcasts yeah. for the rest of the march. It's, like, <laughs> it's it's a little embarrassing, but I was like, I just I'm just gonna I got my sign. I'm good. I'm just gonna yeah. walk through this. But like I just felt insane anxiety in that. Was crowd. it was it was it really the crosses that kind of did it? I mean, is it, I, or do you think you would have felt that way without it? I think I'm thinking about it in retrospect. I don't. I didn't make yeah. that connection at the time. Okay, um, gotcha, all yeah. I know, all I knew at the time was that I felt, cause I, I, I go to a lot of protests and stuff, but like I, yeah, I felt I've just at that one, I felt extreme anxiety and yeah. I think thinking back on it, I think it has a lot to do with like just the symbols that were just, just the, again, stripped of all of its meaning, like what that protest mm-hmm. looked like. And then I left yeah. because when we got to uh, the place where they were going to have speakers, they wanted to do the Pledge mm. of Allegiance. And I was like, fuck this. So I, <laughs> <laughs> I am, yeah, totally. it's too, it's totally. a, that's a bridge. That's, why... that's a bridge too far, dude. Yeah, no, I hear you. Um, <laughs> when I first got clean, right, right when I started the same program, no, my dad actually was and started this uh, pro, well, it wasn't a protest, but they were him and this church uh, people were, built these life-size crosses and they were actually uh they walked they were walking around oh, portland they did they that to walk yeah. around portland okay. with the crosses you know mm-hmm. um so uh i i i didn't do it yeah yeah well <laughs> that's that's an interesting synchronicity i was just talking to somebody about yeah. that recently about uh people outside of like abortion clinics who drag crosses around and it's like what are you doing like yeah, that's, no shit. You that's know, so silly. That that wasn't. I think one of the uh, someone. I don't know if it's a guy or, or a woman that who shot one of the protesters or made a bomb or something, but just got released from prison in Oregon. Re- oh, I, I've, no, yeah, I've never heard, heard of this. that. No way. No? no. Okay. Yeah, they were just released. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of scary, man, because it, it can get extreme pretty fucking quick, you know. So somebody shot. Like, somebody shot one of the protest like I, how did that go down no 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 it was uh someone uh, uh an abortion protester shot or i'm not sure exactly if they like sh- like it was some terrorist attack against like uh one of the doctors or or the clinic oh, got it you got know it. and they and they and they got arrested and went to prison and they just got released you know but it was a it was a violent act you know mm. um so um, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of hesitant to, uh, protest with like large groups for some reason. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I do like, I do like protesting and I kind of think that's what Save Porn from Hell was about was like protesting mm-hmm. against, um, a lot of these, uh, a lot of this bullshit I saw from the, you know, uh, conservative Christian evangelicals, sure. you know? Yeah. Um, 
but um, it wasn't like uh, so. I and I, I mean, I, I liked doing it because it was like I was completely in control of like what was said and and mm-hmm, and how mm-hmm. you know how it came across and stuff. So right. um, I mean, I, I think protest is great, and I you know strongly believe in it. But um, I don't know. I I I think I I think I would feel a little like protesting in groups first. I agree. I do kind of feel a little weird you know i wonder if it's also about like my face being exposed i don't know i don't know why i feel like if you could do this without it being perceived as a threat like if i could go to a protest wearing a mask i I feel like i'd be much more comfortable you know no i i definitely agree i totally agree and it kind of makes sense why you know how antifa does wear a mask i mean it's like yeah i, I can totally i totally understand that. it's like it i want to i want to be a body i want to show up i want to you know <laughs> right, right. chant and have my sign and, and make my presence known but right. the personal aspect of like my faith because you know when you're walking the whole time you're walking this is every protest like rios and i actually were at, at a protest in korea uh, which yeah. is kind of funny. We just like got like roped into this like feminist protest there. Um, yeah. But like every time you do that, like news crews come out, right? And they yeah. they're, they're <laughs> filming like a camera is in your face constantly, yeah. right? Yeah, and, yeah. And your picture is being taken over and over again. And I'm just like, I don't like that. I think that also definitely adds to the anxiety. It's like I just want to put a bandana on or a hoodie on or something but i also don't want it to look like i'm i also i'm not trying to start shit so you know yeah i mean it definitely you're definitely in a vulnerable place you know that's why it's hard to do right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and it's like i i think it's great that you're doing that shit you know and i i think you know with safe from hell i was doing it with a mask so and i and i i think maybe that's maybe that's uh I, I don't know. I'm not sure. But then it's weird also because it's like if you actually – like if I were to show up wearing a mask, first of all, yeah. it's like I'm in a place where I'm like the only white guy like right. in the crowd. And now it's a white guy who's wearing a mask. Like that would almost yeah. <laughs> that would almost attract more attention than just doing no- – you know what I mean? So it's like I'm kind of yeah. screwed over here. It's just like – You could just you could just wear like, a, like a, one of the, those uh, glasses that have the fake nose and mustache. Oh, <laughs> again, it was just, yeah, no, no, I don't know, man. I don't know. But you know, you just yeah. got to keep doing it, I get, or, or yeah, not. But I, mean, if I you, also if think it's fine to it, not if... do it. I also think it's fine to not do it though. I don't like, yeah. you know, I don't believe that like people have to do anything really, yeah. you know? Well, people can, people can protest in different ways too, of course, right? Yeah, not of like, course. Hey. Um, but if you believe in what you're standing up for, then there's nothing really to be ashamed of, right? Or nothing to, be, I don't know. Yeah. No. Right? No. I don't know. No, I no, I think so. I think that's true. Yeah. yeah for sure. For sure. I'm just deep in thought now. Now I'm just thinking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you got me over here thinking. Well, sir, that is All the right, hour. Man. That is the hour, yeah. and the book Sounds is called good. Killing Poppy. And I, uh, just to be genuine for a minute, I think you did a really good job, man. I think I think it's hey, a really thanks, good man. book. I think it's really cool. Um, the writing is really good, and I also like the illustrations. I think the illustrations yeah. are cool. Um, hey, thanks. Can and, I give a shout out to the street artists? Of course, yeah. Go for it. Okay, yeah. Uh, shout out to the street artists: uh, Scam, Sin Canvas, Wokeface, and Crace, who uh, made some great art that's featured in this book. So thanks. 
yeah, it's it's really super cool. And I like I like Benjamin a lot and I like Apocalypse Party. And I got that right, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Definitely, oh, yeah. Thank God. I was <laughs> I thought that's what it was. <laughs> but I always want to say like I was gonna say like Apocalypse Man <laughs> or something. <laughs> Some dumb shit. <laughs> because <laughs> it's got the little guy you know he's got the little yeah. the little man on it but um yeah but anyway no I, I i genuinely think it's a good book and uh i'm just i'm, cool. I'm just happy to know you man i think you're a cool guy All right, man thanks david yeah it's good talking man it's always good to see you too so hopefully uh, you make it to portland soon yeah in march buddy i will see you there right. sounds good later later